Well, Michelle went on strike. She made a simple, short, direct statement and put it on a sign and plastered it in her front yard. Mom on strike. She vacated her house and went up into her children's treehouse. And she said, I am not coming down until things change around here. Well, the local news station, the TV station, got wind of this sign in her yard and they wanted to do an interview. But what interested me about the story was not the interview with the mom, it was the interview with the dad. What would he say? So as they interviewed him, he said this. He told the children, no more talking back to mom. Then he said, I need you to get back to doing your chores. Finally, we're going to do whatever it takes to get mom out of the treehouse. <laughs> well, you know, you hear a story like that, and it makes good human sense, doesn't it? I mean, you make amends when you've messed up. When you've done something that hurts somebody, what do you do? You change. You make a difference. You try to make amends. But while it may make good human sense, it makes poor spiritual sense. I mean, how is it when you mess up, when you fail, that you make amends with a perfectly holy God? How is it with past mistakes and failures where you have rebelled against this perfectly holy God, you try to make amends? Well, this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. How do we make amends with a perfectly holy God? If you have your Bible, would you open with me to Romans chapter 10? As you know, we're working through the book of Romans. Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 is a very interesting passage because the section of Scripture is dealing with ancient Israel. Because all that Paul had already written, the, the nation of Israel, the Jews that were in the church, were beginning to wonder, where do we really stand as Jews in God's plan? And so some of you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with us then? If it's really speaking to the Jews in the first century that were in the church at Rome, what would it have to do with us? And what I want to tell you, it has everything to do with us, as you'll see in just a few moments. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word? Romans chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 1 to 13. The Apostle Paul writes this, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven 
that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in me will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, what an amazing passage you have given us. What an amazing word you want to speak into our hearts. And God, as we've been praising you, as we've been looking to you, we are now looking to you by the power of your spirit to take this word. Some of it may be a bit confusing. Some of it's super clear. But that you would make it and mold it and shape it into our hearts that it would transform, change the way we think, the attitudes we carry, that our very hearts would be different because of listening to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. As we look this morning, I've got three points, very simply, that come out of this passage. And the first one is this, is that many fail to grasp God's righteousness. That was true then, and it's true now. Many people fail to grasp God's righteousness. Now, as we read this passage, you got the sense right at the beginning is that the Apostle Paul, just like at the beginning of chapter 9, he has this zeal, this heart for his people, his, his fellow Jews, that they would be delivered from their sin and find hope and promise in God, right through the Savior Jesus Christ. But what we begin to see is what he says in verse 2 is that I can testify them that they are jealous or zealous for God. They're zealous for God. Now, as we think about that, we can think also about the Apostle Paul. He too was zealous for God. But as we're going to see in a moment, it was a zeal that is not based on knowledge. Now, just pause there for a moment. People can be zealous but it's not based, it doesn't have a foundation in the very Word of God. It's really a zeal that is created or put together the way we want it to be. So let's take a moment, look at Paul's zeal himself. Look how he describes himself in Philippians. If anyone else thinks that he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes on and he talks about the zealousness that he has because of his Jewish heritage. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, of the people of Israel, right? He called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, I'm not just an ordinary Hebrew. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. He is zealous in regard to the law a Pharisee, so he had climbed the pinnacle, the ladder, and reached the pinnacle of being a Pharisee, a significant teacher in Israel. As for zeal, he was persecuting the church. He was so zealous for Jewish law and Jewish traditions and the Jewish faith 
he would actually persecute the church. And then as for legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. What does that mean? It means this is the kind of guy you want to have as a friend. He's straight up, he's honest, he's got integrity. You would say it this way, this is the kind of man I want my sister to marry, right? He, he, he's straight up, he's, he's faultless. Look what he says in Galatians. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. So this is Paul, and he gets what was going on with his fellow Jews and the issues going on in the church. But he says their zeal, just like his, at one time, it was not based on knowledge. So look what he says here in verse 3. He says in verse 3 of Romans chapter 10, he says, they, the Israelites, they did not know what? The righteousness of God. Not only did they not know it, they secondly sought to establish their own. So when they tried to make amends with God, when they tried to deal with their past garbage, they did it on their own. Now, we need to translate some of this into today's world, right? People will say this, I love Jesus, right? You ever hear someone say that? I love Jesus, and you're like thinking... I know how they're living. I know what they're about. I know what they're doing. And what are they doing? They're establishing their own righteousness. They're choosing how they're going to live. And they say, oh, I'm passionate about God. I'm passionate about Jesus. But hey, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. They're establishing their own righteousness. That's what he says. Because they don't know the righteousness of God, they establish their own what happened with the Jews is happening today, except it's now under the rubric Christianity. So, Paul wants to deal with this fully and finally. He wants to take the church in Rome, just like God, the Holy Spirit, wants to take Box Valley right now and say, what are you doing to make amends with God. What needs to happen according to the Scriptures? Now before he starts going deeper into it, he gives us an incredible insight. He says the Christ, or the Messiah, this is verse 4 of chapter 10, he says Christ is the end of the law. Now when he says the word end, some people read that and say, wait a minute, the law, the Mosaic law, is now put aside, put in a closet, locked up, get rid of it. It's the end of it. And now there is Christ. Now, in part, there's some truth in that statement. But I don't think that that's what the word end is talking about here. The word end is more like the idea of goal the end or the goal of the law, the purpose of the law was to point to Jesus Christ. So it wasn't 
that it was to get rid of the law. It was that the law was to point to Christ. Remember Jesus Christ himself in his Sermon on the Mount, we call it, his famous message. What did he say? I did not come to abolish the law. I did not come to put an end to the law, like tuck it away, get rid of it. He said, I came to fulfill the law. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. So when Paul says that Christ is the end of the law, what he's saying is the law, the Mosaic law, so we're not confused, we're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right? Numbers and Deuteronomy, those five books, they were written by Moses 3,500 years ago that point to the work of God in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul means, that Christ is the end of the law. Now look what he says, it's the goal of the law, so that there may be a righteousness for everyone, Jews and Gentiles. Now, I probably don't remind us enough on this, but that's just the way they divided the world up. It wasn't like they tried to look at all the ethnic groups or all the nations of the world. You were either a Jew or you weren't. <laughs> you were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. And so that's what he's saying is now everyone. It doesn't matter where you're from, what ethnic group, there's a righteousness for everyone who believes. So the Apostle Paul is telling us that many fail to grasp God's righteousness. Many fail to grasp, and I think if I would say it this way, Israel or the Jews in the church at Rome, they couldn't see that the law pointed to Jesus Christ. You know, that's true today. I heard a pastor say this, we should unhinge the Old Testament from the New. We should detach it. We should cut it out. That's just not the way the Bible reads. The Bible reads as one big comprehensive story that points us to the person of Jesus Christ with more clarity and more focus. But let me hit my second. Many strive for their own righteousness. Many people strive for their own righteousness. So if many fail to grasp God's righteousness, many fail or many strive for their own righteousness. They're they're trying to do it on their own. And that's what verses 5 to 10 is really driving at. Now, as we look at this, this is a more complicated section because it requires a lot of thinking and it requires some different understanding of, of how to read the Scriptures. But verse 5, it says, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. So he's talking about a righteousness that is by the law. Then in verse 6, he says there is a righteousness by faith. Now, I don't want to lose anybody here, so I made a very simple slide that captures this. It's a bold contrast. Verse 5, there's a righteousness by the law, and there is a righteousness by faith. Now, 
Why is he drawing that distinction? Because the Hebrews, remember we already saw in verse 2, they were ignorant of God's plan. They had a zeal for God, but a zeal without knowledge. So, verse 5, it says, Moses wrote wrote this about the righteousness that is by the law. Listen to what he writes in Leviticus 18.5. The person who does these things will live by them. The person who does these things, the person who obeys the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, Genesis all the way, right? We talked about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those who follow them, look for that, will live by them. The question is, what did he mean by live? Did he mean eternal life Or did he mean life with some abundance here? And I think what he's talking about is life with some abundance here. Now, what do I mean by this? Let me be very clear. If you or I or anyone in our country, no, let me make it bigger, anyone in the world would live according to God's plan, life would go better for them. If we would live according to God's plan in marriage, it would go better for you. If you would live according to God's plan with sex, it would go better for you. If you would live according to God's plan according to sexuality, it would go better for you. Go better for everybody. There would be more wholeness. There would be shalom peace, there would be longevity, there would be a sense of well-being. That's what verse 5 is talking about. There is a righteousness that comes by living according to the law. Now, let's be really clear. If you read the law and you read it carefully, you begin to get a sense that yes, if someone obeyed it perfectly, then you might experience this thing called eternal life. But nobody could do it perfectly. That's why the law constantly pointed to Christ. Now, I know you're like, okay, could you just give me an example? Let me give a simple example. In the Old Testament, there's this day of atonement, right? There's this day of atonement where the Jews would come to the temple and the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would pray, and there would be two goats, One goat would be sacrificed, but the other goat, the priest, the high priest, would lay his hands on the goat and put the sins of the nation, of all the people, on the goat. And then they would release the goat into the wilderness and it would be gone forever. What was gone forever? The goat? Yes. But your sins. They were carried away. But guess what? They had to do that every year. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just do this once and get rid of all sin forever? And God said, I've got a plan. And what was his plan? He took his one and only son and laid your sin, my sin, the sins of the world on him. And just like the goat, was taken out of Jerusalem and released into the wilderness, God took his son, crucified him outside 
the city. He's the new scapegoat. He took our sins away. See how the Old Testament points to the person of Christ. But guess what? It only had to be done one time. Once for all, it says. The just, Jesus Christ, for who? The unjust, you and me and the world. So what Paul is doing here is laying this out. Then he gets it even a little more complicated, right? Because you start looking in verse 6, and he says, who will ascend into heaven? And of course, as we look at that, he's pulling us into a couple passages in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And now what he's trying to do is get us to a place where he took the Israelites, where God took the Israelites. God took the Israelites and he said, do not say in your heart that it's because of us that we got into the promised land. Just pause there for a moment. Do not say in your heart, do not let me say in my heart, the reason I have a house, or the reason I have a car, or the reason I have a job, or the reason I have some money in my bank account is because of me. The reason the Israelites got out of slavery and into Egypt is because of God. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 9 is saying. Don't say in your heart it's because of you. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 30 takes us even further because he uses that very expression. Who will go up to heaven? Well, nobody can get up to heaven. You know what he's talking about there? Nobody can make amends with God. It's God who makes amends with us through his son Jesus Christ. No one can go down into the abyss. In Deuteronomy it says sea, but the sea was comparable to the abyss. He says no one. See, it's God that does all this. Was it not Jesus who descended into the grave? And three days later, what happened? He conquered sin and he conquered death and he rose from the grave. I mean, what a beautiful story. Deuteronomy is pointing to that. And the whole point is that this is in the Word and they should know the Word like we should know the Word. He says the Word is near them. The Word, of course, is Jesus Christ as we find in John 1 and in other places. So what we begin to see is that there's this bold contrast, right? A righteousness of the law, but there's a righteousness by faith, and it's are we going to put our righteousness in Jesus Christ? So we begin to see here in Romans 10, the very next verse, we've been now through 5 through 8, verses 9, it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, notice the expression here, declare with your mouth, then he says, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Notice the two things. Declare with your mouth and believe in your heart. Verse 10, for it is with your heart, notice he says heart here, that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth. Two things. He's got, let me clarify, heart and mouth that you profess with your faith, profess your faith that Jesus is Lord. So now what is he talking about here? He's giving us two things 
and I think it's really important. He's linking together faith and works. But don't make the fatal mistake of thinking that you can ignore one over the other. If you profess Christ, then live like you profess Christ. That's his point, I think, when he's saying, if you believe with your heart, in other words, if in my heart I've trusted Jesus Christ, then with my mouth I should profess that. If I believe in my heart that Jesus is God and has died on the cross for my sin, then I should be living it out. What we tend to do today is people live separately or individualistically, however they want. They think they can name Jesus as their Savior and live however they want. Don't make that fatal mistake. You can't ignore one over the other. But there's another fatal mistake, and I don't want you to miss it. It's equally fatal to mix them. You tracking with me? If you mix them, we then start putting ourselves back onto the works path. We are saved by grace through faith. You're not saved by works. You are saved by grace through faith. So that pushes us to the very last thing I want to say this morning. God's righteousness is by faith alone in Christ alone. God's righteousness is by faith alone in Christ alone. So, what's that mean? Look at verses 11 to 13. Anyone who believes. That's what it says in Isaiah 28, verse 16. Anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. So we don't want to mix believing with our hearts, but we don't want to deny professing with our lips. We do not want to deny believing Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, but we do not want to push aside that I don't have to live like a professing believer. And what we live in the 21st century, no, let me say it differently, what we all see in September 25th, 2022, is there's a lot of people that name the name of Jesus, but they're not living it. That's what's being addressed. But don't confuse them. Don't mix them. It is by faith. God's righteousness is by faith alone in Christ alone. So as we ask, how do you make amends with God? How do you get right with God? By faith. Let me say it a little differently. How do I get to heaven? Have you ever asked anyone, well, how do you get to heaven? What do you think is the way to heaven? And some people will say, well, by being a good person. By doing things right. No, what it says here in Romans 10, anyone who believes will never be put to shame. Look what it says in the next verse, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter what ethnic group you're from. It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter anything about you. What matters is that there's the same Lord of 
And the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. So how do you make amends with a perfectly holy God? What do you do with your past? What do you do with your failures? It's made really clear, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. There's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can do that will separate or that you can do to save. It's only Jesus Christ. So, I'm not sure you're like me, that you long to breathe the air of heaven. Don't you long for the day when all sin is removed, fully and finally, when all death is taken away, all the sting of sin and all the separation has come from it, that we are breathing the air of heaven. You know how you're going to breathe that air of heaven? The only way to get to heaven, the only way to make amends with God is anyone and everyone. You hear that? Anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing word you have given us. What an amazing thought. God, don't let us to be like the Israelites. It, it says that they were stubborn in their hearts. And they tried to create a righteousness of their own. When you, God, tell us that the only way to make things right with you is through your son, Jesus Christ. And as a church, and as a church family, we long to breathe the air of heaven together. And we know the only way that's possible is through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray.